This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the No Man Never podcast, I'm Jamie Smith. Joining me this week are James and Natalie to talk about all sorts of transfer transfer related goodness on the No Man Never podcast. We'll also preview the whole City game at Turfmore on Saturday, but first we'll kick straight off with deadline day. Burnley brought their transfer record again, paying a fee reported to be upwards of £10 million for Jeff Hendrick from Derby County, but a late move for Poland international winger Kamil Grzycki fell through at the last hour. Denying Burnley perhaps a bit of pace and creativity in the final third. Maybe that would have been useful for us to add to the squad. Hendrick, though, you would think will go straight into the team for the game against Hull. And we'll come on to that later in the podcast. But James, we'll start with you. Jeff Hendrick, a lot of money, but a player that we've been after all summer. So, good to get it finally done, I suppose. Yeah, it's clearly someone that um, Sean Darsh has had his eye on for a little while. Um, you know, I think it's a good sign, and the only downside I think is the, you know, actual price it, it got to in the end. Um, but I think we've seen it before, haven't we? That you know, players that are home nations based uh, tend to attract a premium um, because when you look at what we spent on Defoe and then you look at what we spent on Hendrick, it it does make Hendrick look a little bit expensive. But um, I guess there becomes a point where if it's you know, if there's only so many people who fit the bill for what you're looking for. And people want silly money, then then maybe instead of getting two people, you want to just have to settle to to get one for some uh, crazy cash. Yeah, it's interesting that his performances at, at the Euro seem to have bumped up his fee quite considerably. Uh, I, I don't know about the whole nations thing. Like Engl- English players have always costed more than, than foreign players, but I've not really seen it with with Irish players. I think it's more the fact that he stood out. In quite an average Ireland team of the Euros, I think has put the price up. But I reckon if yeah. we'd gone in for him before the tournament, it'd probably been oh, half well, the price. Apparently, did apparently bid three million before the tournament. So at least that's a rumor I, I saw somewhere. Um, but no, it's, it's fair. But I think we've seen it in the past, haven't we? Major tournaments, someone has a good tournament, and uh, next thing you know, they they, they appear for a, a reasonable transfer fee, and sometimes it's a flash in the pan. Other times they they can last, but uh, I think part of it is obviously the championship because the money now in the championship is is crazy. So 
I guess if you you want to keep up with the other teams of the championship and spend crazy money, you need to get crazy money for your own players. Quite, we've seen we've made the argument on the podcast in the last few weeks, haven't we, Natalie, about spending money to try and survive and get that extra bounty? But from a club like Derby's point of view, I suppose they want the bounty of getting promotion. So if they're going to sell important players, they're going to demand top dollar. And in the end, they've they've got a lot of money for Jeff Hendrick. Yeah, they have. They've they've got probably what they wanted to get from him, and and more than we probably wanted to spend. Um, and I, I, you know, I have every admiration for Derby's position with that because that's exactly what we did last year. We had offers for Michael Keane. People were sniffing around Andre Gray, and we said all the way through last season, we are not selling any of our players because we are going for promotion. So Derby have just done exactly what we did, and and you've got to admire them for that. There's a there's a fine balance, and I think. Because there is more money being stretched into the game now, and actually some of that money is finding its way into the championship with games, sorry, with teams that have either come down from the Premier League already or have had um, a shot at promotion and are dealing with parachute money, they don't have to sell anymore. And long gone are the days where clubs have to um, bring talent through and sell it for a big profit in order to survive as a business. And what's what's your response to Hendrick overall? Are you happy with the signing? Do you think, like James, it's maybe a bit too much money? Yeah, I completely agree with what, what Birdie just said then. I think he's a great signing. I actually do like him as a player. Um, I would have preferred to get him for around the £7-8 million pound mark, but... In the grand scheme of things, we desperately needed a central midfielder and if the, the price of that was £10 million, then so be it, we paid it. There was also talk of, of Dale Stevens, another player we were heavily linked with, Throughout the transfer window, six bids rejected, according to the press. On the side, of course, Stevens put a transfer request in. On deadline day, it was rejected. Brighton held firm. Um, for me, I think it's quite interesting that we seem to still want Stevens, even after Hendrick was on the way to being done. It suggests that it wasn't a one or the other. It was we wanted both, if possible. Um, James, one of the the advantages of Hendrick seems to be that he's quite versatile. We've seen him play for Ireland on sort of the, the the wide of the midfield role, similar to what Scott Arfield does. Do you think that's maybe one of the reasons Dash wanted him, that he's able to play a couple of different positions? Potentially, yeah. You see it with a few of the players that we've got on our side that they can play in uh, you know, more than one role. Um, I think it's something as well that over the last maybe 10 or so years, Burnley have done quite a lot. You know, Obviously, strikers have been expected to occasionally play on the wing. And obviously we saw Graham Alexander sort of move into midfield later in his career. So, you know, there is history there of us wanting people to be flexible where they can play. And, uh, yeah, I think obviously that's definitely a strength because especially if you spend that sort of money, you want to uh, get the most out of someone and, and have them potentially be able to fit into several different scenarios. What was your reaction to the, the Stevens drama? He released a statement afterwards that made it very clear that he wanted to come to Burnley and felt that Brighton had stood in his way. I can only imagine that he's probably pretty, pretty good. Um, I think football obviously is very strange in the fact that you know if anyone was in a, a normal job and and someone was willing to offer you something that you were more interested in, um, you, you can't really imagine being told no. Sorry, you've got to stay with us and, and, and you know and, and work for us. So on that on that hand, you can see that you know if he was desperate for the move and really wanted it, it must be bitterly disappointing. But um, I thought his statement was fair. You know, he, he could have easily hidden, um, you know, denied ever 
making a transfer request or wanting to move away. But I think he was pretty upfront with Brighton's fans, and uh, they, they can't really complain that uh, he's you know he's been dishonest with them. Another interesting one from the club's point of view, Natalie, that that they held so firm, even though Stevens was into the last year of his contract, he'll go for nothing next summer. He's made it quite clear he's not going to sign a new deal. So to turn down, I think they were talking um, in the region of seven million. How much that was add-ons, uh, I don't know, but seven million pounds for a player that's going to be worth nothing and. His motivation might be questionable over the next few months. It's interesting that they decided to do that rather than give the player the move that he so obviously wanted. It was, and it was a huge gamble, um, to be honest, by them. And it's one that we were pretty surprised that they were going to to take in the end. They obviously don't need the money, um, so they obviously feel that they can take the gamble of losing £10 million for a player that's going to go, as opposed to getting the huge payout that's going to come from, from getting promotion. Um, and you've got, you know, you've got to admire that. They've, got, they've obviously got a plan and they are going to stick to it. I wonder whether or not that plan is a little bit short-sighted in the sense that they're saying well okay we don't need the money so we're going to keep these players and go for promotion but as you rightly said they don't well number one there's no guarantee of promotion but secondly he's his heart's clearly not going to be in it for the rest of the season and how do you motivate that player who's now really wanted to go has handed in a transfer request and he's seen his his move scuppered by the club he's not going to want to play for them Uh, to be honest I I think we're going to see this again in January I wouldn't be surprised to see him come to the club in in January instead of waiting for the whole year whether or not um, Brighton still hold out in January and they still refuse to let him go is another matter but I'd be very surprised if we don't go in for him again um just picking up on what you said just in the last link Jamie um you were mentioning, obviously, that we thought that it was going to be either Stevens or Hendrick, and we were surprised to see them see them still going in for Stevens after Hendrick. It was clear that Hendrick was coming to us. I wonder whether, with Defoe, Hendrick, and Stevens, whether we may see Mister Dyche moving to um, a four-five-one formation away from home. Well, I, I don't think there's any need for us to cover that on the podcast because we seem to do it every single week, but it is, is a possibility, I suppose. Now we actually have some options in midfield other than who is here that <laughs> can play in midfield. Um, the other deal on deadline day that looked to be on the cards at one point, a deal for Poland international winger Kamil Grzycki, fell through very late in the day. Um, there were rumours that Ren had asked for more money and that we'd then called the deal off. There was also some talk of Grzycki's gambling debts becoming a stumbling block um, in the move. James, I don't know how much you saw of Poland at, at the Euros, but a, a direct winger with a lot of pace, seemingly um, something we we lack in the squad a bit. Do you think he would have been a, a useful addition? It looks like he, he would have been a useful addition, but um, you know, particularly when Daesh is so unwilling to give Cartley even 20 minutes sort of in a Premier League game. Um but I think as the day went on, it became a more bizarre uh, transfer story. Um, I don't think we've really seen uh, a saga like that at the turf previously. Obviously, um, early in the day, we'd heard that they had been talk, and, and now it was off because you know his club were messing us around on the fee. The next thing you know, it's back on. He's on a plane um, here for a medical, and then it, it's off again. And uh, I think it was a bit unclear at first we heard that the demands from the other side had gone up but now obviously there's the rumours of gambling debts and him wanting one of the teams to, to clear his debts for him 
Um, and I think in the end, you know, probably not making the the deal was was the best move because whether it was the other club messing us around or whether it was him obviously making these demands and he's he has been in rehab previously for his his gambling. Um, I think it's probably a big risk, isn't it, for the club to take on, particularly in a season where really we're looking to get the absolute maximum out of every player we have because we've got such you know such small numbers in terms of a squad. It is a strange one. I feel a bit sorry for him because, again, like Stevens, he obviously wanted to come. He'd been posting on social media various things about how excited he was and posting selfies from the plane and stuff. So he must be gusted as well that it, it didn't happen. He must have thought he was going to get a big chance in the Premier League and it's fallen through. But um, uh, the, the gambling... Also, I think it's it's if it is because of his gambling, that's, I think it's a real shame if something that probably happened earlier in his life then, then holds him back later in his career. Yeah, uh, I mean, it is obviously disappointing, but it, it seems that maybe he hasn't obviously managed to move past it yet. But also, I completely agree that uh, my first reaction that the next morning um, was, you know, it was disappointing that for him. You know, he, he seemed so keen for the move and then for it to fall through. I think it shows a side of uh, football you don't necessarily see a lot because I don't think you, you get to see a lot of players' excitement before making a move because they tend to... You know, it tends to be quite quick or quite guarded, and uh, you don't really get a lot of the, the players' opinion. You get a lot of the agent sort of picking up his price. So, yeah, it was it was a strange one. I've seen it suggested, Natalie, that in this case it's um, something that the club maybe should have found out earlier. This thing about the gambling nets that seems to be quite a last minute thing. Um, due diligence should have been done on the player. I've seen all sorts of arguments made in this case, but. There's surely some sympathy for the club in that the targeted players seem to have got the deal done and, and outside forces essentially disrupted it. Yeah, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with those comments, to be honest. I mean, how, how far does a club go? Um, you know, they couldn't have, you know, can they really be expected to delve so much into a player's personal life before he comes? He's, he's ultimately coming to do a job. They're not there to, to, you know, do massive background checks, I don't think. Certainly not to that extent. And even if they were aware of this, I think it's pretty unfair to expect the board to expect an 11th hour demand from the selling club to say you'll, you'll pay our gambling debts or we want more money out of you because we have to pay them. I think I think that's a little bit harsh, to be honest. I guess if there is going to be any criticism um, directed at the board, there's always going to be things like this happen when you leave things to the last minute. And so much of our transfer activity this season felt very deadline day special. Um, yes, we've been active out throughout the whole transfer window, but all we've seen is the same names all the time and four or five bids, um, initial bids way under what the selling club considers to be the market value of that player. So it's been very stagnant throughout the transfer window and it's just been bids being rejected, bids being rejected, you know, headlines all over the transfer papers saying you know Burnley lose out on this player Burnley lose out on that player and it wasn't really until the, the end of the transfer window the last couple of days and obviously on deadline day themselves that we saw some real progress and players getting signed so in that sense you could look at it and say well if you're going to leave it to the last minute and something like this comes up at the 11th hour you are leaving yourself zero time to be able to find a replacement we desperately needed um, a winger in this transfer window. We needed some pace and creativity in that midfield. And uh, Grzycki, is that how we're pronouncing it? He he would have provided... That's how I'm pronouncing it. Yeah. That's, <laughs> if it's time for us, I'd have bothered to learn his name. But. 
That's true. So. I feel like we've gone back to the Loughton Lawton days all, <laughs> all over again. It's like we do we do like a, a good uh, name problem on on no no never podcast. Um, so yeah, I, I think. I think if we're going to, you know, throw any criticism anywhere, we can maybe question um, timing issues and say, well, you know, did this need to be done? I think he started flying over to England in about, what, two o'clock in the afternoon and deadline day. Did we really need to leave that to the last minute without any options for plan B? So uh, other than that, I I don't think you can go any further in terms of criticism. Yeah, I mean, it's been pretty obvious all summer, hasn't it, that we need a new winger, Taylor and Dyer are gone. Keitel is obviously out of favour, Goodmanson have come in, but that still leaves us one short. Um, so yeah, to leave it to deadline day was maybe asking for something to go wrong a little bit. But on the other side, at least the intent was there. Again, they were trying to spend big money. If it had gone through, it would have been sort of 17, 18 million spent on players in one day, which is insane for, for Burnley Football Club, really. So at least there was um, attempts being made rather than people saying that the board weren't really backing Dash earlier on in the transfer window. Um, some outgoings on deadline day as well. The biggest of them probably Overstad on loan. He's gone to Charlton. Um, a bit surprised he went to a League One club. And Lukas Jukovic went out on loan to Birmingham City. Um, James, I suppose, after Patrick Bamford came in, a, a deal that we talked about before on the podcast, it was maybe a bit inevitable that Jukovic was going to find himself down the pecking order and not get a chance or an opportunity for him to really have a revival of his career. I think yeah, it's it's going to be obviously an opportunity for him to to try and get goals again in uh, in competitive fixtures, um, which is something obviously been lacking for him. Uh, I thought obviously he, he started the season pretty well when we were in the Premier League um, last time, uh, but that goal never came. And um, you know a lot of strikers are confidence players, and if you you keep looking for that goal and it, it's still not come, then I think it starts to play on the mind. Um, and I think obviously saw that Accrington Stanley away. There was there was opportunities there where you'd expect, you know, a, a striker a, for a side like Burnley to be to be getting in the right positions and taking chances. And obviously he wasn't there. Um, so hopefully this you know gives him a good opportunity to to get sharp again and, and start scoring goals. Because um, I don't think any Burnley fans obviously you know wishing bad luck. He's he, he seems a, a really nice guy and. Um, I think we'd all like to see him get his career back on track and, and hopefully maybe come back to us and score a few important goals. Scoring one goal, I think, would be a good first step for Lucas Jokovic. Um, quite a few going out on deadline day, Natalie, players that were sort of around the squad on the fringes. Dash seems to be making a conscious effort to clear out some of the deadwood, maybe players that weren't going to contribute this season. He seems to prefer working with a smaller, tighter unit. Does that seem fair? I think that's classic dash, isn't it? We've seen that throughout all of the time that he's been with Burnley. Some of that forced on him um, in terms of, of the amount of players that the club can afford to have on its books. You know, we, we're not the kind of club that can afford to have a squad of 40, 50 players um, and have two teams, you know, and field a completely different cup team. You know, we're only starting to, you know, since the Premier League money started coming in, we're only now starting to be able to build a really strong squad that's um, as big as it is. And it's still quite small in terms of, of Premier League um, club status. Um, I don't have any problem really with any of the players that went out. Um, I think they were all players who need first team experience. And yeah, I agree with you completely. Deitch likes working with a smaller squad. And if he if he 
isn't going to get, especially now we've we've gone out of the league cup as well really early and uh, it's going to be january before another cup games come around and if those players are just not going to get any first team action whatsoever um then why not send them out on loan i i guess i'm a little nervous in that we are We've got a great starting eleven, and we've got a couple of options in in some of the the spaces um, that are actually really decent. Like obviously Tarkovsky coming in, he's a good example of, of of depth in the squad. But it always makes me a little bit nervous to see bodies going out of the door when we have a thin squad. If we get any injuries or suspensions, who fills that void? Um, especially up front. Uh, Strikers are worrying me a little bit. We seem to be sadly lacking options if either, well, if Gray gets a, a, a long ban or if obviously Vokes gets injured. But otherwise, yeah, I think they were I think they were good deals out. I think they'll be good for the players. Yeah, I agree. I think certainly an attack out wide, not front, we may be one or two short. I'd like to have seen something a bit, a bit of a different option uh, come into the squad. I really liked um, Albert Dormer. He went to Villa on. I think that was on deadline day from Middlesbrough. I'd have been delighted if we'd have gone for him, but obviously wasn't to be. I'm not sure that was a player we were ever in for, although certain hashtag ITK Twitter accounts were claiming so. Um, moving on to the, the international break, which is why we haven't had a podcast out for a week and a bit. Apologies for that. Um, a few players in action, more than we've probably ever had, I think, seven full internationals out on international duty. Um one of them, perhaps the most high-profile, James, the captain, Tom Heaton, I did a poll on Twitter saying, who is the best goalkeeper? And I think about 90% went for Heaton over Joe Hart, but it was Joe Hart who got the nod. Were you surprised by that decision by Sam Allardyce? Do you think it's a bit claret and blue tinted spectacles expecting Heaton to be playing for England? Um, I wasn't surprised by uh, Big Sam's decision, but um, I don't think it was the right decision. I'm not sure whether you know you you could make a claim for Heaton deserving to start. Obviously, he's he's been a great keeper for us, but he's not really played at, played at that you know highest level of uh, domestic football yet. But I I just think it's strange that Hart has kept his place when he, he had a pretty poor Euros. I'd say he was probably to blame for you know most of the goals conceded. Um, he's he's out of favour. Uh, at City and has been, you know, sent out on loan to Italy. Um, you'd think if there was any time that someone else could break into the side, it'd be right now. Um, but obviously, we seem to have stuck mainly with the the status quo as far as the uh, England side's gone. And you, you would have liked it to be an opportunity with a you know different manager coming in to to mix it up a bit and see some different faces and you know maybe give someone like Tommy Eaton a chance because um, you know it'd be nice to see. A player from a smaller club, um, as it is, you know, a less fashionable club, to to get that opportunity. And you know, if he played well, then there's there's no reason he shouldn't be able to keep hold of the gloves. It would have been interesting, I think, to see if if Butland or Forster hadn't been injured, if they would have got a go instead of Hart, or whether Aldas always planned to to stick with Hart. But I'm sure Tom Heaton will be delighted to be involved in in international football. Another player who's been away. Um, Stephen Defoe has been with Belgium recalled after over two years out of the international setup. But Natalie only played five minutes over their two games over the break. And I just wonder if, with Defoe unable to play 90 minutes so far, if maybe he would have been better served staying at home and doing a lot of gym work rather than not getting any game time really at all for Belgium. What are your thoughts on this? 
Um, I have very selfish thoughts on this for obvious reasons. And I'm very much going to look at this with with claret and blue tinted glasses. Um, I would have much preferred him to stay at home, really work on his fitness, work with our coaching staff um, and Deitch as well to get him up to speed so we can see the best out of him as quickly as possible. Saying that... The player himself came to Burnley and came to play in the Premier League because he wanted to force his way back into the international scene as quickly as possible, and he's done that. So I think the player, from the player's perspective, he will have it would have been very important for him to be with the squad, to have his face seen, to be in the plans for the international side, even if it only meant he got five minutes over the two games. So. Yeah, it just depends on on which side you're on, doesn't it? He will be delighted with that, and I think he'll, you know, I think he'll still work very hard on his on his fitness, and he will have been training while he was out there, so he won't have you know not done anything. Um, but ask any Burnley fan, and they will say they wish he'd have stayed behind and, and got himself a match fit for us. Yeah, I think it's easy for me to sit here and say he should have turned down the chance to play for his country. No one's going to give me the chance to do anything for my country, so it's easy for me to say that it would have been. A very difficult decision for him to do that but players have done it in the past and I'm sure they will do it again of explaining that at that time in their career they need to concentrate on club football and maybe it's something Stephen Defoe um, could have done. The third international I want to talk about James, Jeff Henrik scored a goal for Ireland although apparently it was actually an own goal but does mean he's not going to meet his teammates until two or three days I think before the the whole City game, not ideal having this international break so close to the the start of the season and having deadline day in the middle of it either. It's not really great circumstances for, for Hendricks to be switching clubs. No, you you would have really liked him to have the opportunity to, to play, you know, to, to train with us a little bit more and, you know, get used to the lads and uh, get used to that system. Um, but I guess on the, the flip side... You know, we're going for players who are getting international football, which is maybe a sign of the you know the quality of the player. Um, so I don't think we should complain too much that obviously they're getting call ups. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. If you'd have said, if you'd have said to a Burnley fan a few years ago that we'd have seven full internationals in and around the first team, people would have probably just laughed at you. So certainly a positive thing overall. I just wonder if in certain cases it might have been better for players to be with Burnley rather than their countries this time. Um, another one, Natalie Scott Arfield. He's been away with Canada in the last two weeks, played two four ninety minutes, one of the games in very, very hot conditions in Honduras. Um, do you remember last season when he went away to play for Canada? His form seems to drop on his on his return. Do you think that was going to have an impact playing international football and having such such long journeys travelling the globe? I do remember that. I remember it very vividly. And I remember us discussing it on the podcast last year. It's the same argument that we've got with Defoe. From a Burnley perspective, we don't particularly want him jetting halfway around the world for an international game. It makes him jet lag. His form was terrible for a good four to six weeks after his last, well, actually his first um, games with Canada. So we, you know, we really don't really want that. You know, we would much prefer him to be here and, and get fit, especially as we haven't replaced um, him or we've not strengthened the team with any wide men in the transfer window so we're really relying on a very fit and a very sharp um, Scott Arfield and George Boyd to enable you know, them to, to 
put some creative passes into our front two. So with that in mind, no, I'd rather he didn't, you know, get some jet lag and have a dip in form as a result of his international commitments. Saying that, exactly what you said, Jamie, about Defoe, would you really want to um, rob the guy of a chance to play at international football? It's slightly different with Scott Arfield, I think, because we've, we've said the question, you know, would you deprive somebody of the opportunity to play for their, you know, their country? Canada isn't really Scott Arfield's home country you know Scotland was and that was you know obviously he's had a lot of hurt not being picked for the Scottish side and for some bizarre reason which I still don't understand he's been completely alienated from that Scottish side so he's chosen to play for Canada and he's eligible to play for Canada and that's great but I don't think there's the same pull as playing for your national side as if it was say Vokes playing for Wales for example or Heaton playing for England because he hasn't got that emotional attachment to the country but it is still international football and it is still getting his name on the international scene. So in that sense, you can't really, you know, stop him from doing it. Yeah, again, it's it's a very tricky one. I mean, I watched some of the the Canada game against Honduras and I've got to say the standard was poor. It was probably bottom end championship league one standard at best. Arfield was one of the better players on show. So I think one of the arguments for players playing international football is that they play they play with players that are better, they learn things that drives up their standards as a result. And I think you can make that case for, for Defoe. You can say he's gone and trained with Eden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne and Romelu Lukaku and these top quality Premier League players. But Scarfield's gone to play for Canada and no one else, no, you won't be able to name another Canada international. I'm not sure what he's learning football wise from it, although it's obviously a great experience for him. Um, James, any thoughts on this? Arfield, his form did drop when he came back, but can it solely be put down to that international break he had? Or were there other factors involved? Do you think he's going to make an effort to keep up his levels after coming back from international football this time? His place has got to be under threat with good months and pushing to be picked as well. Yeah, you, you fit this competition in the squad. Um, obviously, Goodmanson, obviously, uh, unfortunately, didn't have a good game at, at Clinton Stanley, which I think is. You know, maybe uh, bought Arfield a little bit of breathing space. Uh, I'm not sure whether you can say yet whether. What well, I'm not sure you can say yet that an international break has affected him. I think obviously it's a small sample size so far, um, but it will be interesting to see as it goes on. Um, you know how he manages going away and playing games for Canada because there's a lot of travel involved. If you, uh, you know, you go play the games they do, and then you have to come back and playing a Premier League game the weekend after. But I, I can totally understand why he's playing for Canada. Obviously, he wanted to play football at the highest level, which, as far as he's concerned, is international football. And, you know, it, it didn't seem to, to fit um, with Scotland's plans for, for whatever reason, uh, despite probably being one of the more uh, high-profile midfielders um, around the country. And, um, I, I'm sure... There's, there's going to be more positives to him playing for Canada than there are negatives. I certainly want to, to keep an eye on these internationals and how they go. I'm interested to see if they are all in the team on Saturday or if fitness and tiredness play, plays a part in Daesh's team selection. We know how much he values fitness when putting together his team, so it'll be fascinating to see what his 11 looks like. Um, for the weekend visit of Hull City, big game for Burnley. This is probably one that at the start of the season we would have had down as one that we really need to win. It's far too easy early in the season to be talking about must-win games, but 
these are the sorts of fixtures that get talked about as relegation six pointers. Although it has to be said, Hull have started the season incredibly well under their caretaker manager, former Claret Mike Phelan, of course. Um, Natalie always seems to be a, a tight, tense match when you play against a team that you're expected to battle against relegation with. Is that what you're expecting on Saturday? Um, no, I'm not. Just because that doesn't seem to be the way that we've started this season. I've mentioned this on the last couple of podcasts that I feel that this side has started this Premier League campaign calmer and more confident and more self-assured than it has in any other um, campaign. So in that respect, I'm expecting them to just to not be overwhelmed by the occasion and to not be thinking about it being potentially a massive six-pointer and just going out there and, and expecting to win because they're at home, they're the home side and because they're good and because they're a side that play well together and they're a side that have just beaten Liverpool at home. And you would expect... Um, even a week, even a, a Liverpool side and off day to still be slightly better, if not the same quality as a good Hull side. And I don't mean that to be disrespectful to Hull, but obviously that's the kind of polar opposites that you get in the Premier League. So in that sense, they've got absolutely nothing to fear. And because of the way they've played so far this season, I'm actually expecting them to go out there on Saturday with a lot of confidence in a relaxed mode and really play some good football. This this is a whole side. It's important to remember. Finished below us in the league last season, obviously, and a lot of people had them down to finish bottom before they won the first two games of the season. And only a last minute goal for Manchester United won them the game at Hull as well. Um, James, I think everyone's been surprised by the the way Hull have started, but they've got such a small squad. Although they have added a few bodies before the deadline closed. Everyone's expecting them to fall away and come back down to earth with a bump. Do you think that could be on the cards on Saturday? Um, I'd hope so. Uh, I, I was speaking to a Borough fan today at work actually about about Hull, and uh, you know we both felt that while they started really well, it, it's probably a little bit of um, you know wanting to prove themselves, considering what the, what they're going through there and how small their squad is, and um, obviously they're off to a good start, but it's probably a Mainly to do with what we're showing, we can do. We, you know, we belong here. We deserve to be here. Um, can they keep that going while well, the squad's still quite threadbare? I think it's a really big ask of them to uh, to play the way they have done so far for a full season. Um, and obviously, it's a, a huge game for us. It's one of those ones that I think, you know, you look at at the beginning of the season, you expect all to be around the same area as we are, and uh, I think these really are as as much win as they get um, in the in the Premier League, and they are the games where it's almost as good to take the three points to yourself as it is to take three points away from uh, a rival. In terms of team selection, though, Natalie, we've talked about some of the international lads and how they might be um, tied in the case of Scott Arfield, maybe fresh in the case of Stephen Defoe, since he's not played a lot in the last couple of weeks. Do you think that's going to have an impact on the team? Do you expect Hendrick to go straight into the midfield for his debut? 
Yes, I do. I expect this team to be the team that we've seen um, and expect that the starting eleven, with the exception of, um, I think, Hendrik and Defoe will start in the middle. Um, he's Dach has played, started Defoe in the, in the game since he signed for us, so I don't expect that to be any different. Whether he can now last a full 90 minutes, I don't know. Um, but I do expect Hendrik to come in, especially as he had a, a successful um, international break as well. He'll be fired up. He'll be very excited after scoring his first goal for Ireland. So I think he will be he'll be a player brimming with confidence eager to impress his new manager um, and I think he's, he's a, a guaranteed start I'm also led to believe um, that Demon isn't yet fit um, I don't think we've had a full extent of his um, injury sort of fitness status yet I'm sure when Deitch does the um, pre-hull press conferences where I probably expect will be tomorrow we'll get more about that but I am told that Demon is not available for selection on Saturday which does force Dyche's hand a little bit Hashtag um, ITK. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, is. it is. <laughs> trying to say that a little bit. No, it is. Um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> that's what we're led to believe on the No No Never podcast. Again, we may be proven wrong. But I don't want no. to ask for your source on this. <laughs> yeah. so, no, I, I'd like to make it clear. I do not, you know, on my quick <laughs> hotline to Dyche that I have on my desk, you know, I can <laughs> every now and say, come on, Dyche, give me some information. We're recording this evening. Uh, no, it, it's just, you know, it's just that's what I've been told. So, but I think for me, even if Marnie was available for selection on Saturday, my view would still, my suspicion would still be that Deitch would pick uh, Defoe and Hendrick to start because I, it looks like that's what he wanted in that central midfield. And to me, this might sound a little bit confrontational, but I think now um, Dean Marnie is now a substitute central midfielder. I think he will he will come on as an impact player or he'll come on if he's going to uh, change Hendrick and Defoe. I don't think he's guaranteed a starting place anymore. Well, I don't think you pay ten million pounds for a player and then they're on the bench, do you? So Henry's going to play. Yeah, that's true. It's Given that whether they're... he goes straight in and whether he plays centrally or um, in the Arfield role, I think is the decision Dash has got to make. Uh, that's true, actually. So we think that maybe Arfield might be susceptible. Might be a little I th- bit. I think Arfield is is vulnerable. Um, James, you mentioned earlier you don't think Goodmanson's really pressed his cra- cl- pressed his claim yet. He was particularly disappointing in that defeat at Stanley. Do you therefore think it's same again out wide? Boyd and Arfield get another chance? They were good against Liverpool, but both quite poor at Chelsea. Yeah, I think Dash will probably um, take it as, you know, Chelsea's a, a little bit of a different different you know, case. Um, I think we probably expected um, to, to have a really tough game there. Um, and obviously it's a team that Probably in a great shot of winning the league. Um, so you know, I think the only change really will be Hendrick coming in. Um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that works. And obviously, if De Marnie doesn't make the bench, then um, again, it's, it's going to look like a bit of a weak bench. And is Hendrick Dash fit? Because we've already seen that Defoe's really only fancied for 55, 60 minutes at the moment. Um, but I imagine, obviously, Defoe's had a a little bit of maybe extra treadmill work to do or something to, to get Dash fit. But um, hopefully, obviously, his fitness is coming along because uh, as things stand, we really need to be able to try and get more than 60 minutes out of him. It's a tough one in midfield, isn't it? Because with Jones going out, Stevens not getting over the line, it does mean that we are only one injury away from the cover then being Aidan O'Neill and James Tarkovsky as it was at, at Chelsea. Yeah, and I mean, Aidan O'Neill's obviously 
won himself a, a lot of fans with his, his pre-season work, but uh, you don't really want to be relying on someone um, of his age so early in the season. And obviously, having your central midfielder have to come and play in the... Uh, sorry, your centre-back come and play in the central midfield is, it is a little bit disappointing so early in the season when injuries shouldn't really be taking grip yet. I thought it was quite interesting, actually. Tarkovsky did a... Tarkovsky did a Q&A on Twitter and uh, someone asked him about playing different positions and he made it quite clear that considering he considers himself a centre-back, hasn't really ever played midfield. So for all the talk from Burnley fans, oh, he can play defensive midfield. Like, Tarkovsky doesn't see himself as playing that role. So it's obviously an, an emergency option. Um, let's leave that there for now then and move on to Natalie who has a tweet of the week for us. Tweet of the week. Tweet of the week, tweet of the week, tweet of the week, tweet of the week, tweet of the week. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> I had to do it. I had to put it in there. For all our listeners, the boys, uh, the non ever team have been giving me some, some grief outside Did of the podcast. Did you notice today? Did you notice today that James has stopped doing, yeah, no. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I know, and I apparently I always start Tweet of the Week with Indeed, which producer Adam quite likes because it's a good link in there. So I had to do it this week just to, you know, just get in Jamie's head a little bit more. So moving on to this week's Tweet of the Week. This has been taken from Deadline Day, and it's a little nod. One of the reasons this made me laugh so much was the last Premier League campaign we were in, um, those of our regular listeners will remember a very special night on deadline day where we all stayed awake till about two o'clock in the morning on deadline day um, on a school night. It was only the, the hashtag true fans. It was only the hashtag true fans. It is. We had a spectacular night where the club tweeted really late on saying that they'd applied for an extension and we all got incredibly excited. We all stayed up till very early hours in the morning to see us sign Michael Keane, which as it turned out was a great signing, but it was just one of those nights where it was one of those you had to be there nights. And and this the week's tweet of the week is very much along those lines. And it just summed up for me the whole transfer saga around the Grzycki deal, which ended up not being the deal. And it's one of those, those of you who were following Twitter at the time will understand this tweet. It's from James Pete, who is Jimmy P53. And he says, I wish Twitter would sort out their Polish translations. Can't make any sense out of the Grzycki situation. And I think that just made me laugh because for so much of the dying stages of the transfer window, we were just getting um, Polish journalists and, and uh, just tweeting all sorts of things which we couldn't make head and a tail off. And there were all sorts of hilarious translations coming through from Google Translate. And it was during those happy days where we thought the deal was going through and we were all very positive. So it just made me laugh. So that won this week's Tweet of the Week. Isn't the world, the modern world, great? Relying on Google Translate. Transfer news. So that was this week's tweet of the week. We'll end then, as we always do, with predictions. James, we'll start with you. Big game this at home to to Hull, who have started the season very well, but expectations will be on Burnley as the home team, champions of the championship last year. Yeah, I, I think we'll I think we'll get the job done, and uh, I'm going to say it's going to be a, a two-one win with. Uh, both strikers getting on the score sheet. I've gone for 2-1 as well, actually, so that's a, a positive start. Natalie, dare I even ask what you're going to do <laughs> for your I prediction? can't do it. The backlash from our listeners is too much. You know, when I when I went for a positive win for the Stanley game, I got I got absolutely trolled on Twitter from our fans who were disgusted at me. You can't mess around with reverse psychology. Um, so 
I have got a really bad feeling about Saturday. And I am just for concerned, a just for a change, I am concerned about Hull's impressive start. I think they're a team that's going to be very confident and they'll be, they will be also looking to take points from us um, to A, take them from a relegation rival, but also keep them um, doing their spectacular start to the season um, riding high. So I'm going to say a 3-1 win to Hull. Brilliant. Nice bit of positivity to end this week's show. Sorry. <laughs> so that's been the Northern Ever podcast. Thanks to James and Natalie for joining me. Kevin's on holiday in Cornwall, which is why he hasn't been on the podcast taking holidays during the football season. I don't know what that's all about. Thanks to Adam, who's our editor and producer. Thanks to Rick, who provides the artwork. We are still looking for sponsors. If you're interested, please do get in touch. You can get in touch via Twitter at Twitter at or you can email us at podcast at net get in touch with any questions feedback comments complaints anything like that as ever as well but that's it for this week we'll be back next week to talk about burnley v hall at turf more hopefully a premier league win for the clarets but that's it i've been jamie smith and goodbye are you seriously (laughs) forgot i hadn't muted just had some iron brew Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the Talksport Fan Network. Talksport. Powered by fans.